You have been led to believe that everything you have experienced isn't real. That there's an explanation. But what if they're wrong? What if something has reached out to you from beyond? Let me tell your true stories. Let me tell them. Until they all believe. Hi everyone. I hope everyone had a great holiday. So today we have two stories. One sent in by Leon from California. And I have titled his story, Danger in the Cards. The story after his is sent in from Jane from Ohio. And I have titled it, Terror in the Night. Leon's story fascinates me. And I am so thankful to Leon for sending it. Leon's experience shows us that we should always question intent, especially when dealing with unknown entities. This story also comes with a warning because it has violence and suicide. If this subject matter will be too disturbing for you, please skip this episode. We do not focus on the violence or the suicide, but it is part of the story and necessary to include. Okay. Well, here we go with danger in the cards. February 1984. My friend Jim and I were fresh out of high school, still living with our parents in the small town of Mojave, California. We wanted to leave this little town and move to Fresno, California. Jim's sister lived there, so we figured we'd hang out at her place while we went job hunting. I'm sure you've heard of tarot cards and how people use them for divination. We didn't have tarot cards, but we had a deck of regular playing cards and a book that had these esoteric definitions for each card. We both had a card that represented us. For instance, my card was the Jack of Diamonds. Jim's was the Jack of Clubs, if I recall correctly. We would at times play around with the cards to try and foretell future events, but the answers were always vague at best. We wanted to know if we would find jobs in the place we wanted to move. So we sat across from each other. Jim shuffled the cards and asked out loud, Will we find jobs in Fresno? Then he randomly selected four cards face down in the form of a plus sign. Then he flipped them over one at a time. The first card was the King of Spades, which represented a dark-haired male. The second card was the Queen of Hearts, which represented a light-haired female. The third card was the Nine of Spades, which represented big trouble. The fourth card was the Jack of Diamonds, which represented me. Of course, that made no sense. So Jim gathered up the cards, shuffled them again, and asked if we would find jobs in Fresno. Again, he randomly selected four cards and laid them out as before. Then he flipped them over. It was the same four cards. By then, we were both irritated. Jim, again, gathered up the cards, shuffled them, and asked them if we were going to find jobs in Fresno. He randomly selected four cards and laid them out as before. He flipped them over. It was the same four cards. King of Spades, Queen of Hearts, Nine of Spades, and the Jack of Diamonds. Then we got pretty weirded out. It was obvious that something was trying to tell us something. 
problem was we didn't know who represented the king of spades and the queen of hearts we figured it must be a couple we know but who so jim gathered the cards up shuffled them when we asked the cards yes or no questions a black card was a no and a red card would be a yes we didn't know very many couples who fit the description so we went through them one by one we asked is it chuck and chrissy Jim pulled a black card. No. So then we asked, is it Jim and Tandy? Jim drew a black card. No. Then I asked, is it Tim and Tammy? Jim drew a red card, meaning yes. We asked, what's the problem? Jim drew a card. Nine of spades. Big trouble. Then he drew my card, the Jack of Diamonds. And the last card represented travel. Then I asked, am I supposed to go to Lone Pine because of this big trouble with Tim and Tammy? Jim drew a red card, which meant yes. I knew they were having problems. They had a history of problems. I grew up with both of them since we were children. Tim was my best friend at one time, and we competed for Tammy's affections as we got older. Tim won, of course, as he was tall, dark, better looking than me, so they became a couple. I was okay with that, and I stayed friends with both of them. But Tim, Tim had a dark side. After a while, he began cheating on Tammy and physically abusing her. Problem for me was she blamed me for it. At one point, she told me she wanted me to stay away because she said he only does this when you're around. So I stayed away, and... I don't think he only did it when I was around. So when this strange message from the cards came up, I was like, no way I'm going to Lone Pine to be stuck in the middle of one of their fights. So we put the cards away. We did go to Fresno for a couple of weeks. We did not find any jobs, but we didn't really look too hard for one anyway. We wound up back in Mojave, of course. It is now June 12, 1984. I was chilling in my bedroom when my mom came in and told me a sheriff had come over and informed her that we got an emergency phone call and gave her a number to call back. Well, we didn't have a phone, so we went up to town to pay phone. Mom got out and made the call. She came back to the car crying. She said, Timmy shot himself. My head snapped back as if somebody punched me in the face I thought maybe he's just hurt and in, in, in the hospital then mom said his dad asked could you be a pallbearer well then the next day I did indeed go to Lone Pine Tim was half Indian so he was to be buried on Indian burial grounds just south of Big Pine California his dad his uncle and I dug Tim's grave and put him in it it was about a year later when Tammy told me what had happened. She said she had finally had enough of Tim's abuse and cheating, so she dumped him. Then she told me it was as if a big weight had been lifted off of her. The next day, Tammy graduated from high school. Afterwards, there was a party that Tammy attended in the desert town. Well, Tim showed up in his car and begged her to go for a ride with him and just talk. Well... She went for it. She got in the car. He drove them out to a secluded place. 
parked the car. Then he pulled out a gun. He loaded two bullets saying one for you and one for me. And then he proceeded to beat her to a pulp. She told me all I could think about was how can I get out of this? And then she got an idea. She told him, let's, let's, let's just get back together. Let, take me home. I'll get cleaned up and we'll go out tonight and talk. Luckily, he went for that. He dropped her off at her house and left. When she walked in the house, her mom took one look at her and called the cops. He drove by her house after a while to pick her up, saw all of the cop cars out front. So he drove out to where he had taken her to assault her. His heart was likely pounding from adrenaline when he shot himself in the head. Wow, such a tragic ending and how sad for his family and those affected by this story. This is an incredible experience, Leon. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. My question to Leon and all of the listeners is, what do you think the intent was of whatever was sending this message through the cards? Was it trying to help? Or was it intentionally trying to put Leon in harm's way? Hmm. We will never know the answer, but I'm positive Leon made the best choice by staying away that day. Another question here is, what do you think is the power behind tarot cards and even Ouija boards? After all, they are just manufactured paper products. I'm sure they aren't infusing these with magic at the factory. I personally feel like we are the power that our belief alone powers them to become portals for contact. But it's a dangerous game to play with forces we know little about. We don't even know what powers we hold within ourselves. Well, feel free to leave comments or questions about this story. Okay, so next we have Jane's story from Ohio. She is using all fake names for this story to protect the identity of her family. This story is truly terrifying. And in my opinion, her dream seals the deal for this being some type of possession. But in my eyes, it's definitely a paranormal experience I will not soon forget. Okay, let's get into Terror in the Night. Hello. My name is Jane. The year was 1983 and I was 15 years old. I lived with my grandpap and my step-grandmother. It was a Friday night and I was supposed to have a friend over, but she canceled at the last minute and I was very disappointed. I mean, back then, if you didn't already have plans set, then you were kind of on your own. No cell phones or internet to track your friends or see where the party was. Also, I wasn't driving yet, so I was having a teen tantrum at having to be home on a Friday night. I decided to go to bed early and brood in my room, maybe read a book. As I lay there reading, I heard my pap come home from work as usual around 8.30. I heard him shuffling around the kitchen getting his dinner. Heard him using the bathroom. Shortly after that, 
I heard his bedroom door shut, and I knew he was off the bed. I went to sleep shortly after that, so I'm guessing it was likely around 10 p.m. My step-grandmother was on the couch in the living room, as was her custom to sleep in front of the TV at night on the weekends. All was normal. I was dreaming, and I can tell you I remember this dream vividly, even today, as if I had just had it last night, likely because of the trauma that came after the nightmare. Anyway, as I said, I was dreaming. It was a terrible dream, definitely way over the scale to the nightmare side. In my dream, I was standing in front of my grandpa, and I could see through his skin and what I saw under his flesh was hideous demon-like and it was grinning at me my grandpa seemed unaware that it was there at the moment and then black hands and large black snakes were surrounding him grabbing at him and growling fiercely and he was screaming the face underneath was still grinning at me at that moment I was so terrified that I woke up with a start and sat up in bed the next thing I know I see the light across my room turn on mind you my room was the entire length of the house one giant bedroom on the entire top floor so this light was about 60 feet away and it could be turned on using a switch at the bottom of the stairs. And it just turned on. So someone was coming up the stairs. Still shaken by my nightmare, I was frozen in place, dreading what was coming up the steps. My heart pounding. Was I still dreaming? Then I saw her blonde hair and I knew it was Gail, my step-grandmother. What the hell was she doing? And what the hell was she carrying? I glanced at the clock and it was shortly after 3 a.m. I jumped from bed and went towards her. She was carrying all of my grandfather's guns and a baseball bat. Yeah, I think I'm still dreaming, right? I mean, this was weird. She hurriedly met me halfway across the room her face was panic-stricken. I had never seen her look like this. And then she whispered loudly, There's something wrong with Tony. He was my grandpa. You have to hide these. Then come downstairs and help me with him. In an uninformed state of panic and still shaken by my dream, I hid the weapons but kept the bat and headed downstairs on shaky legs. I found Gail waiting for me at the entrance to the hallway. Around the corner, I could hear moans and strange sounds. I asked her, what's going on? She said she has no idea. She said that his shrieks and moans had awakened her from the couch, and she went to check on him and found him like this. I went to the doorway of the bedroom, and he was sitting in the middle of his bed. His face contorted. He was kicking, punching at things we could not see. 
Occasionally, he would act as if something was hitting him back and hurting him. I was just standing there in shock. I said to him, Tony, what are you doing? Wake up. Wake up. You're having a bad dream. I reached for him and he screamed when I touched him, making me jump and retreat. I looked at Gail and I said, I swear to you, this is similar to a dream I just had. And she brushed that off as if it didn't matter, but I think it did matter. And to this day, I think it mattered a lot. Anyway, we tried a couple more times to wake him or get him to look at us, but he acted as if we were not there except when we would touch him and he would scream as if it caused him pain. So I know some of you may be wondering why we did not call 911. Well, at that time, in our area, 911 was something new. Our family had never used it, and it was not a first thought back then. Nowadays, it certainly would be. We decided to call my sister, Tina, and headed down the long hallway to the kitchen. Halfway there, we heard a noise behind us and turned to see Tony standing in the hallway. And when I say standing, I mean he was standing, but he was twitching. And it was as if he was learning to stand upright as he kept rolling his shoulders and twisting his neck. It just, it wasn't normal and it was frightening to see. I said to him, are you okay now? And he started walking clumsily towards us. We were both now terrified of him. So we backed ourselves into the living room and he walked past us into the kitchen. And then he just stood there in his underwear, staring towards the window. It was so strange. Everything was dreamlike. I still question if I were stuck in the dream that I had had earlier. I went down the hallway and grabbed the bat. He was still standing there. We huddled in the living room, peeking at him occasionally, trying to decide what to do, when he suddenly ran down the hall toward the bedroom. We followed, slowly, to find him on the floor at the end of the hall. We went to him again to see if we could help him, and... I know how this sounds, but I swear it happened just this way. He leaped from the floor into a standing position. Not something I would imagine anyone but a well-trained athlete could do. And he was not that. He leapt from the floor and took a stance against us and screamed, I'll slit your throats and shit down your necks. I had left the bat in the living room and all the adrenaline was pouring through my body now, ready to run or fight. Then he screamed into our faces, and we ran. We ran to the door and went outside. We started peering through windows to see where he was. We found him, standing at the end of the hall where we left him, just staring towards us, just standing silently. I said I would go back in and grab the phone to call for help. And Gail said she was coming too, that maybe he's okay now. 
she said she wondered if he was sleepwalking and I looked at her like she was crazy sleepwalking. He just threatened to slit our throats and shit down our necks. And did you see him on the bed? And did you see him leap from a laying position? He's not sleeping. There is something wrong with him. So we went back inside. And when we looked down the hall, he was gone. Oh my God, now what? And where was he? There he was, back in the bedroom, sitting on the bed. When he heard us, he smiled. It was a genuine smile, different than a few minutes ago when he had a blank face. He smiled and said, Oh, mother, I have missed you. Keep in mind here, his mother had been dead for about 10 years at this point. And then he proceeded to have a conversation with his dead mother while looking directly at Gail. It was so surreal. Gail said, should, should I answer him? And I said, hell no, don't talk to him at all. Let's, let's leave. We need to leave. We can go to Tina's house, as my sister lived about two miles away. She can call for help and we'll be safe away from him. We started backing down the hallway, slowly, eyes on him the whole time. As we retreated, he rose from the bed and began to follow us, matching our pace. I just knew we were in danger, but I also thought if we ran, he would run and catch us. So we stayed the pace. The hallway, being about 30 feet long, seemed like a mile at this time. Finally, we reached the end, and the doorway was about 10 feet to our left. We broke and ran towards it and out the door, and he was again screaming at us, wanting to slit our throats, wanting to shit down our throats, wanting to beat us till we died, screaming obscenities and worse. Things I have never heard before, and things I have not heard since, nor will I repeat them now. Then, when he got to the doorway, he stopped. We were hiding behind the car, watching him through the car windows. He stood at the door, looking at the door frame from top to bottom, as if he had never seen it before. Like he didn't know what it was. It was weird. He was moving almost chicken-like in his actions at the doorway. Very weird. Then he walked back into the hallway and we didn't know where he was now. And we just realized that to be able to get help, we would have to go back inside to either get the phone or get the keys to the car and we were terrified to do either. We lived in the country. There were no neighbors to help us. So we started looking through windows again, try to see his whereabouts. After some time, we saw the sun was about to rise as we could see our surroundings now. And for that, we were grateful. We seen him finally coming back down the hallway towards the kitchen. He stood at the edge of the table lit a cigarette and reached down 
and was motioning as if he were petting a dog. Our dog had just died not long before this, and we currently had no dogs. He was talking to the invisible dog. We could hear him through the screened window. You're such a good boy. It's good to see you again, boy. Chills went down my spine. Later that day, replaying the events in my mind, I realized that he had said, see you again. It seemed some part of him knew that the dog had passed as he said, see you again. Eventually, he went back down the hall and I snuck in to grab the keys and phone while Gail watched through the opposite window to be able to warn me. Luckily, he never saw me and I escaped safely back outside. We finally found 911 and they came to get him. He thrashed and screamed. He screamed horrible things. He was straightjacketed, and then they took him away. At the hospital, it was kind of a blur. We were sleep-deprived and traumatized. They sedated him and planned a lot of testing for him later that day. So we went home and went back later. When we arrived, he was already awake. And he was completely back to normal. Perfectly normal. After blood work, scans, and I know they did some kind of testing for toxins that could possibly make him act that way, plus whatever other testing they did. I mean, he got the full gambit. After about a week in the hospital, they found nothing wrong with him physically or mentally. He was very healthy, they said. His condition went undiagnosed. But the doctors recommended he get some rest as he seemed to be exhausted from the whole ordeal. I want to add that nothing else like this ever happened again. I will never forget the dream that I was having about snakes, black hands, grabbing him, growling, while he was screaming and fighting something in real life in his bedroom at the very moment as my dream. Nobody in my family ever acknowledged my dream. And my grandfather never remembered any part of that night. But I never forgot a moment. Wow. Just wow. This was very intense. And I can't imagine having witnessed these events. What do you think this was? I feel like it was a possession of some type. And I find it crazy and odd that this thing couldn't figure out either how to get out of the house or wasn't able to leave the house. Any thoughts on that, guys? Also, where did it go once her grandfather was taken? Please leave comments or questions or your thoughts on this. This was just incredible. Okay, so don't forget to sign up at Patreon so you never miss an episode. And I'm going to have more tiers of membership coming soon. And they all have super benefits for joining us here at Paranormal and Supernatural True Stories. I want to thank everyone for spending your time with me today. If you care to send questions, ideas, thoughts, 
or your own personal experience, please feel free to email me at mytruestory at myyahoo.com. I'll see you all next time on Paranormal and Supernatural True Stories. Bye for now. Thanks for being here today. I hope to see you next time on Paranormal and Supernatural True Stories. Will your experience be the next one I tell? Send all communications and stories to mytruestory at myyahoo.com. In the meantime, leave the lights on.